Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 489 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. We got a little victory over Notre Dame to talk to you about a victory that didn't go quite as we expected. And speaking of that, I'm going to bring the guys in, by the way. I'm Jason Evans. Donald, Sam are both joining me today. Uh, it is uh, mid-afternoon on Wednesday, the day after that that game. We have to explain something about our feed because you, whenever we do a recap, guys, we talk a little bit about, you know, oh, we mentioned in the preview. When we were talking about this team in the preview, and for a number of people, there was some weird glitch. We don't know why, but our preview episode didn't drop until after the game happened. <laughs> can I Can I apologize real quick? Because, uh, or at least I want to ask for forgiveness. I don't want to apologize. So I published that episode. I put it up on our on our system the way that I always do, and somehow it only like it only ended up like the, the, each the three of us were all trying to download it. It ended up in my feed completely normally. I thought everything was fine, and both of you said we can't see the show. We had we we can see the download numbers. We knew the download numbers were low relative to usual, and we also heard from a bunch of listeners that they couldn't see the show. So. I don't know what happened, but I'm just whistling past the graveyard here. I would say that, that there's nothing to apologize for. This was a, a an actual glitch that happens from time to time. Usually it happens where nobody can see uh, or listen to the pod. This glitch just so happened. Yeah, either it works or it doesn't. Yeah, it was a few of you uh, <laughs> were, were, the, were the mighty chosen few, uh, of which Jason and I were not um, because we were not able to do it. But I, I do want to thank the listeners that did email us because you guys are the ones that tipped us off that something was off here um, and we were able to get it fixed. But that is probably why this morning you probably woke up to see a, a, a thing about Bray's last visit. It sure looked it like it was recap. the game recap. It could I, have I'm been sure the game, game recap. Was it. Wow, they, <laughs> these guys are on the on the job there. They got it going fast. <laughs> it was wrong. It was wrong. Shout wrong. out uh, to all my fellow podcast addict homies who use that app to download instead of your built-in uh, Apple or Google podcast apps. Right. Both you, of which appear to have failed for some reason. You, you in the any real event. MVPs, podcast addict. <laughs> uh, in any event, let's get to this game that was a Blue Devil 68-64 to 64 victory over Notre Dame. As I mentioned on the preview... Uh, Duke was favored by double digits in this contest. It did not work out that way. Although, boy, there are a couple times during this game where it sure looked like Duke was going to blow Notre Dame out of the water. And then then Dane Goodwin happened again and again and again. Uh, guys, uh, we will start with the headlines. And I'm going to give folks, first of all, I'm going to let folks know that we've sort of decided that the three of us, unless we have like a great headline, we're kind of backing off doing headlines ourselves because we're getting so many wonderful submissions from all of you out there uh, so for example i don't have a headline for this game because we got great ones from from the listeners sam you look like you want to say just, i was going to say just wait until you know people start sending us audio clips and then this podcast is just going to be a <laughs> an effort in us editing gonna, together <laughs> everybody else's thoughts it's just going to be a pulp fiction of duke basketball recaps like i'd rather i'd rather just have wilco and and k-man do the do the show for us so much so much easier they sent us, they sent us good it, i mean look part of the part of the idea when we first started doing the show was like oh we're gonna highlight the best of the dbr forums uh which we don't really do and which is totally fine it's it's evolved to become something else but uh maybe, maybe this is the this is the the winding path back to one of our original uh our, our original ideas for the show in any event let's get to some of those really good headlines that we got from the listeners uh, Tina L. 
came in. I really like this one. She said, with K in their corner, Duke makes Irish eyes cry in Bray's goodbye. And and you'll notice there was a little bit of rhyming happening there. We got a lot of rhyming stuff. Like Jared Strauss said, hello to K, bye to Bray, Mitchell for Trey, happy Valentine's Day. Jared. That was the one that I picked. Uh, I know we <laughs> all picked ones that were, that was my favorite. That was the one I thought encapsulated a lot of the game. I'm going to repeat it because it's so good. Hello to Kay, bye to Bray, Mitchell for Trey, happy Valentine's Day. Jared, hat tip. I love it. Jim Baumgartner. Jim, Jim Baumgartner went a step further. Jim, Jim Baumgartner won the, he he won the, the poet. There are a lot of people submitted poetry, but this one is, is the yes. top. Yes. This is, this is next level. Jim Baumgartner gave us this. And this, we should be clear. This is not a headline. This is this just a, a poem. This is just, just a poem. No, I, no, this is like a this is like an old school New York Times headline that has like three subheads. There you so, go. I don't know what the terminology for that is, but it's there. all right. We built it up enough. Jim Baumgartner wrote to us and said, "Flip, uh, sorry, flip, lit it up." God, I'm not going to read it. Do it. Go ahead. You can do it. You can do it. Feel free. Jim Baumgartner yeah. said, "Flip, lit it up in the key and lively provided good D." But when the lead fell to one, this had turned much less fun than Mark Mitchell came through with the three. God, that's good. Man, that is just, <laughs> I love that. That's excellent. Excellent stuff. Um, I, I, I need to also mention uh, Clinton Weaver. Duke's good win nearly spoiled by Dane Goodwin. Nice job. <laughs> Very nice job there, Clinton. And then uh, I did want to mention uh, just a general comment we got from Tom Wildermuth, who said... Coach K looks like he's about to have the team run sprints after the game. <laughs> he still has that look in his eye. And, and you know, we should mention, of course, and I'm sure we'll get to it at various times during this recap, that it was it was fun to have Coach K back in the house. I think that he, that Mickey was like, you know, he was like, Mickey, what would you like to do for Valentine's Day? And she said, let's go to a Duke basketball game, honey. And and they showed up. It was uh, it, it, it was great to have them there. I was a little surprised. Because not not at, you know we we heard leaks throughout the day that Coach K was showing up, but I really I really thought he was going to try not to show up at all all year. Uh, I think the fact that Mike Bray is retiring from Notre Dame is what changed his mind. He wanted to come out and see two of his beloved former assistants battle each other, and and that's the only reason he showed up. I don't think we will see Coach K making regular appearances in Cameron, but it was great to have him there, wasn't it? It was it was awesome to have Kay in the building. We got another email. Let's just do this now and get get this the whole Coach K topic out of the way. We got another email from Abby Reeves, who, judging by the email, she was in the building last night. She said, my favorite moment of the game so far, this was about 10 minutes in. Uh, she said, besides Ryan Young's muscle under the basket, was when Coach K clapped in time to the music twice and then abruptly stopped like he realized what he was doing and like he couldn't be seen doing it. My favorite thing about watching this, and Donald, you're going to tell me if you were able to to witness more of it because you were much closer, was I had my eye on Coach K most of the the first half and was looking to see if he did anything other than scowling. Like if he was clapping, if he was standing, if he was anything other than sitting and scowling was, was what I was waiting for. He seemed furious the whole time, uh, which I think is a combination of you know, Duke wasn't playing their best, but also that he's just like, I I'm in here and I'm in this seat and I have no control anymore. And normally he'd be able to, <laughs> you know, get up and run around and yell at stuff and curse out the refs and all those things. And he just has to, he just, he's just there. He's just sitting like a regular, like a regular schmuck in the crowd. 
so so let's talk about this with Donald one because Donald was in the house on pressure. And by the way, folks, if you knew to look for him, <laughs> Donald was dead middle of the floor, like right at midcourt, primo press seat. You were wearing red, man. I, I, you know, Sam said he was watching Coach K. Every time they brought the ball past half court, I was like, there's Donald. There's Donald. There's Donald. <laughs> he could, so Donald, little... you could not have been more visible. Yeah, you, exactly. I guess pot, you could have worn the like. The pot has made it. <laughs> you could have worn like a lime green shirt. Other than that, I don't think you could have been more visible there. So give us, I mean, give us some it, flavor, man. What what was what was it like in the building and 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 seeing Coach K? Well, I think a lot of people you, you'd heard the buzz that it was possible. I think the first instinct that people had that they were going that Coach K was coming out was the gray Coach K kits or the the uniforms that uh, the team was wearing when they came out for warmups. Clearly, you could see uh, the gray shorts that everybody at that point said. Hey, uh, this is the first time we we're in a Coach K, you know, jerseys. You know, must mean he might be in the building. He right, came and that, out that gray. That gray, by the way, for folks who don't know, is to honor West Point. Those are the grays that Coach K the, wore when he was at West Point. Yeah. West Point and, and with the, the gold, gold right with the gold and for USA. Donald, basketball. Donald, did you just try to slip a kit by us? I did. I I I, I was just on a soccer don't, call. Before don't we think. Don't this. think I didn't notice that. <laughs> hey, man, look, I, I I dive in two worlds here, and you and you socialist. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I mean, it was fun, right? Because he came out and it, there was an immediate burst of applause, right? There was like a in, in WWE turns because there was a couple uh, WWE athletes there last night, wrestlers there last night. You 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 hear what's called the crowd pop, and the crowd definitely had a pop when he and Mickey first walked into the arena. It, it was kind of funny because for a long stretch of the of the first half. There, there obviously that baseline is usually full of people, but there was no one within maybe, you know, 15, 20 feet of them. Uh, and it, I don't know if that was by design or if it was just people were late arriving because of uh, the seven o'clock midweek start. But uh, it, it was it, it was interesting that it was this game. But I, uh, Jason, you mentioned that Mike Bray, uh, you know, saying that it was his last game in Cameron as a coach of Notre Dame, uh, that probably prompted it. And there was, you know, pictures of them all day. He had come out to. Uh, talk to Mike Bray. Mike Bray in the press conference actually had a lot to say about his final time in Cameron and the fact that it was uh, that he was great. It was gracious that he was uh, able to come out and make that the first game that he attended in Cameron as a spectator was to see him coach. Uh, and I'll say on Mike Bray, Mike Bray has talked about leaving Notre Dame. He's been very like very forward about saying he is leaving Notre Dame, that he is not retiring from coaching. This was a man that was looking down memory lane as if he was retiring. Um, it was kind of interesting in the in the postgame presser, but especially I think the nostalgia of being back in Cameron one last time got him, you know, sort of emotional um, afterwards when talking about the relationship that he has with Kay and the fact that Kay kind of gave him his opportunity in coaching and, and how he had been there for, you know, such a long stretch, a really good stretch that included you know, six final fours and two national championships. So uh, I, I think everyone enjoyed and, and we'll talk about John later, but, you know, everyone really loved seeing Kay in the building, even if he was sitting there stoic or, or have a scowl on his face. There was a point where he, uh, you know, him and Mickey were clapping along to uh, every time we touch. And, and again, he kind of did a couple claps and kind of had that. Uh, no one's, everyone's watching me. Uh, so let me just kind of dial it back, but Mickey was into it. So um, Mickey looked like she was having a great time in, in her, her first game back in Cameron, at least with, uh, with Mike. But uh, yeah, it was, it was cool to see them. Hey guys, do you want coach K when he shows up to be more like a fan or more like a coach? He was like a coach. I mean, he was, we, we've all talked about how stoic he was. 
Would you rather he be cheering and getting excited and acting more like a fan? No, I would love to see him do. <laughs> I know they don't do it anymore, but I would love to see him do the entire Rock Lobster dance. That's all yeah. I want. He has like nine would be replacement. Fun. His hip. He's on like his eighth different. Hip. He's got yeah. He's got he's got no original parts in his hips yeah. or knees. But but I would love to see the Rock Lobster. I want him because he's look. He's had the best seat in the house for watching the Cameron Crazies for forty years. He no even if he doesn't want to admit it, he knows all the moves. Uh, oh, and yeah. I I I know that he knows them. I also the other the other observation I had in watching him is that the you know the where the corner that he was sitting in is where the cheerleaders sit and where the Blue Devil sits, uh, right there, like where the right. where the player entrance is. Yeah. Uh, speaking as someone who used to sit on the floor right there as the Blue Devil, uh, I am shocked that the Blue Devil didn't do more shenanigans with with coach k like i i'm sure i would i'm sure the blue devil was told not to yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the yeah. only reason that he <laughs> instructions were given i <laughs> i th- there there were definitely times where i was told here are some rules for tonight's engagement and i am sure that it was do not like you can you can acknowledge him you might get to do the, the bowing thing but uh but no no messing around with coach k he doesn't need that tonight they 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 formally introduced him during like i think it was the under four timeout they formally introduced them like they kind of welcome back Oh, oh for the folks who didn't know who they were, right? Did they do it like former players? Like, oh, welcome back. Uh, yes. You know, yeah, but it was just back Mike Krzyzewski. <laughs> yeah, so they're like, you know, welcome back to Cameron Indoor Stadium, you know, Mike Krzyzewski and every, you know, every, and that was the biggest pop of the evening, right? It was the biggest crowd. Everyone was on their feet. That was awesome. Um, but I think the other thing is he he doesn't know how to be a coach in Cameron yet, and that's fine, right? Like, he doesn't have to be Roy where he's, I mean, Roy's probably damn near in the locker room. You, you mean he doesn't know how to be a spectator yet? He knows how to be a coach. I mean, he, he has, has, be a coach he has yeah. more experience than but anyone no, in history at being a coach in Cameron. No, but here's the thing. He doesn't know how to be coach sitting and spectating because that was his first game that he has right. spectated right. in 60 years almost. So I didn't he, doesn't expect... have that, he doesn't have that, in, that experience yet. If you had asked me before, where's he going to sit tonight? I don't think I was going to guess that spot, but in retrospect, it makes a lot oh, of that's sense. Per- that yeah, absolutely. And it's like right you- near the exit and he's visible, but you can't really get to him. And and he cannot be near the bench. Near the bench would be inappropriate. It would look like he was looking over John's shoulder. It, it, he has to be, I guess you could maybe put him by the scorer's table or something like that. Maybe I, even that I think is probably, yeah. I think the funniest would be to put him in Mickey's seats upstairs and just see what happens with him just among the people so john john mentioned and we've talked about this on the show as well but john mentioned they're like well why you know why now did he come out and he was like well he's one probably wanted to come out to more games it's just where he sits is probably the biggest question facing uh because he wants to be able to talk you know to watch the game and and be that you know not above average fan because he's never going to be an average fan in cameron um, but I think he, you know, the idea was, Hey, where do you sit him? I thought that was fine because at the end of the day, the camera crazies knew kind of not to, you know, mess with them. And he was away from, uh, the, the players so that he could, you know, I mean, the only interaction he had with the players was when they entered the court and when they left the court. So I, yeah, I think so that's, that's a good summary of the game. Should we just, uh, call our <laughs> players of the game and wrap it up? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's <laughs> going to do it for this episode of the DBR podcast. <laughs> All right. We've talked enough about coach K. How about we actually get to the game, the contest that was happening, that he was there to watch? And, gentlemen, before we hit the good and the bad, I want to give just a couple general comments and interested in your feedback on these. First one was, look, here's reality. And, by the way, I'm putting this here because I don't know if it's a good or a bad. It sort of 
goes in both places. But the reality is there's only so much you can do when 23-year-old Dane Goodwin has the game of his life. Dude dude is hitting 52% of his shots on the season, of, of shots in the paint. He's right at 50%. In this game, do you know how many shots he missed in the paint in the entire contest? The, the answer is one, and it was the shot that Derek Lively swatted into the fifth row toward the end of the first half. Other than that, basically every shot he got up that cleared the arc of the top of the shot went in, which is, again, this is a dude who hits 50% usually. It, it was a Bootsy Thornton-like performance, and if you are a Duke fan and you don't know who Bootsy Thornton is, sorry, you need to go look it up, and you're not allowed to listen to any more of this podcast until you figure no, it out. No, no, don't make them watch that or, <laughs> or read about it. We've We've been over that on this show. I've never watched that game, and I don't care to. I, I'm not saying you have to watch the game. You just have to know who Bootsy, Bootsy Thornton was a player for St. John's who just destroyed Duke one, one game. Anyway, forget it. So whenever we have someone who's sort of a lesser player uh, who who suddenly comes out of nowhere to score close to 30 points, we go, it's a Bootsy game, and this was a Bootsy game. And and I want to give some props to Duke for winning a Bootsy game because usually you lose a Bootsy game. I also wanted to note very quickly, uh, after Dane Goodwin scored 25 points in the first 35 minutes of this game, he did not score in the final five minutes, final four and a half minutes when the game was really on the line. And one of the reasons for that was there were several possessions where Duke put Derek Lively on him. Now, if you had Derek Lively guarding Dane Goodwin as the key to the end of this game, you know, I don't know what kind of prognosticator you are, but you're way smarter than I am because I would not have guessed that. But when we put Derek Lively on him, lo and behold, Notre Dame went, maybe let's not feed Dane Goodwin in the post with the 7-1 human eraser guarding him. Guys, anything on Dane Goodwin? Silence. Beautiful. We'll classic, move on. <laughs> classic nonsense. What do you, right? like, what do you want us to say? He scored 17 it, straight points. Like, yeah. I, I yeah. I next time Duke should probably guard the the reserve uh undersized small forward. You know, like what yeah. what, what are we talking about here? This we is starts like, most of the games anyway. And, right? like, and look, when we when we get to the when we get to the good, which I think we're going to in a second, it's like a lot of, you know, Duke fixed a lot of the problems that they've had in recent weeks. And we're so glad to see Kyle Filipowski just getting buckets again. So uh, in a in a way, like I'm disappointed that that Duke made this a contest after I I was pretty vocal that they shouldn't that this game should not be much of a contest given Dude, I said we should win by twenty. Season. I yeah. said we should, yeah. Uh, overall disappointed, but there's a lot of things where you can say, look, at least they at least they took some some lessons from the most recent set of losses. I think with Dane Goodwin, I think the other thing is that he is a starter, right? He he's one of the he's the sixth starter, I guess. And we talked about JJ Starling had been removed from the lineup for the past couple of games. He actually started tonight in place of Dane Goodwin. And Dane Goodwin comes off the bench and probably was like, Hey, I took that personally. I'm gonna take it out on Duke. But I think I commend them for for getting to it. And I guess this kind of flow in the good, right? The one thing is about Dan Goodwin is you mentioned all the shots that he took inside the paint. What he did, what did he not do well, and what did you know, Notre Dame not do well was shoot outside the paint, and that's what their bread and butter is. They like to hit a lot of threes. The first half they only hit one of eleven. I think they they got a little hotter in the second half. They hit five more in the second half. But the the defense that we had was focusing on the fact that these guys were going to try and beat us by shooting threes and making them. And they weren't doing that for the most part. The only, I mean, we'll talk about the the issues that we have with what they did on defense, but I think for the most part, the game plan was to focus in on their three point shooting. And then that they were successful. All right. So let's get to the good. 
And and uh, Sam, you kind of teed it up. I, clearly, you want to talk about Kyle Filipowski. How can you not want to talk about Kyle Filipowski? Really nice game from him, taking the ball to the basket, taking advantage of his size, which we, again, in that preview that many people didn't get, we spoke about the fact that, you know, Flip was going to have a big height advantage. He led the team in plus minus at plus 10. Give me a little bit more on what you saw from Kyle. I think that we we told you before that this was going to be a great bounce back opportunity for him because Notre Dame doesn't have the size to stop Filipowski, you know, in the mid range and especially in the post. And that was very evident last night. He, he doesn't make any of his three, three point attempts, but is nine for 13 from the floor. Otherwise just absolutely dominant. And uh, there's a part of me, I think I I said this to you guys last night. I kind of want Filipowski. I know he got, he got hit again last night, which is not the first time that he's been accidentally maybe uh, hit in the face or in the throat this season. But I kind of like when Flip gets a little angry and gets a little full, you know, gets the gets the heat on a bit because I think that it actually motivates him in a good way and that him being confident and tough is better than him being shy enough to get his shot blocked. Like one of one of my least favorite things about his game this season has been him getting his shot blocked. And if he's if he's tough and he's feeling it, that's not happening. And and we saw, I think, the good version of that last night. Of course, I'd like to see him hit his three pointers. But if all I get from him is nine for 13 from two, then I'm still going to be pretty happy. Flip was very aggressive and very assertive in the, the start of both halves, both the first and second half. He was going right at the rim. Duke also had this game plan that allowed it. Basically, Notre Dame was basically going to allow them to come all the way up to the free throw line. And from there, they were trying to lock down. But guys were taking, led by Flip, they were taking a lot of jumpers from the free throw line, that 15-foot area, that mid-range. He was doing that a lot to success. But also when he was able to establish that, he was able to get to the basket. He was able to go to the free throw line. And also he was able to feed his teammates. There was a couple of times during the game where he had a high-low yeah, you know, a high low high low situation where he was feeding the ball from the free throw line down into the post where a Ryan Younger or Derek Lively was waiting. So, you know, Flip was doing everything. And when he when it got to it, it was clear that he wanted to come out and say, Hey, last week was an aberration, not the not the norm. There's no wall here. And if there is, I'm busting right through it. I will say that he didn't look hobbled at all. There was a point where he did fall down um playing defense. And everyone kind of had a you know a gasp for a second. But that, he got hey right Donald, you you may not have seen it. That's when he got hit in the throat. He got he got jabbed. No, no, in the no, throat no, no. I'm not. No, no, no. This was down. This was the different. This was a different play. He okay. was on defense and slipped. Um, and and slipped on that ankle because you could tell there was one that was a little bit uh further taped up. He had a leg sleeve on on his left uh leg, but he fell down and everyone kind of gasped just a bit. And then he got right back up and hustled down to the other end of the floor. Uh, because we had gotten the ball off of steel, he rushed down and ended up being a part of the play that sent, I believe, Jacob Grandison um, uh, was able to uh, pass it to Jeremy Roach, who then got a layup. So these guys, I mean, Flip was excellent on both ends of the floor. He, you know, basically his idea was he needs to just be aggressive. And he, we mentioned that anytime he hits a wall, he comes out aggressive. I think the events of last week or in the past, and now that the fact that he, uh, looks to you know be healthy at least, or was playing uh, without a hobble or anything like that, leads me to believe that he is you know putting last week behind him and is just focusing on running through whatever brick walls in front of him. So I want to move us on to the uh, another thing in the good is the the two headed small forward monster that that played really well for Duke by playing really well in half the game, and by that I mean 
Dariq Whitehead and Mark Mitchell. In the first half, Dariq Whitehead had nine points, three of three on three-pointers. Very, very impressive. He then went on to score zero points in the second half. In the first half, Mark Mitchell had zero points, but he had eight points in the second half, including what many people will say is the game-winning basket, a three-pointer that he hit off of a pass from Jeremy Roach with less than 10 seconds remaining that sealed this victory for the Blue Devils. But combined, Whitehead and Mitchell had 17 points between the two of them. And I, look, I mentioned on the preview that Mark Mitchell had only one three-pointer this calendar year. He hit two in this game all by uh, you know all all by his, himself and Duke is going to need these guys to hit some threes to stretch the defense a little bit because like this week we're not going to get into a full Syracuse preview but newsflash when you play Syracuse you got to hit your three-pointers. They're not going to let you get in the lane very much. They're going to dare you to take threes. And Mark Mitchell and Drake Whitehead need to be two of the guys who are knocking down some shots for the Blue Devils if we're going to, you know, be successful against Syracuse this weekend. And the last thing I want to mention about them before I let you guys talk about what, what those two guys did, there was a moment with about six minutes left where Drake Whitehead made a really nice pass to Kyle Filipowski that he that he finished off for a bucket. And that kind of creativity from Drake Whitehead, something we've seen few and far between this year. Um, and by creativity, I mean creativity creating a situation for one of his teammates. If if we get more of that from him, it is a really good thing for a Duke team that has sorely, sorely struggled to find creative ways to score. One thing on Mark Mitchell after the game, John Shire, and a lot of guys actually uh, have talked about Mark Mitchell and, and his shot. And everyone kind of talks about how flat it is, and it kind of looks like uh, that he's throwing a dart at a dartboard. Uh, but they said that he takes 100 corner threes every day after every practice and he has the coaches helping out with it because he knows that at a certain point he's going to be needed to hit that corner three both of those threes that he had you know especially the one in the corner at the end the one thing that Mike Brace said was that was the play that they wanted him to have they said if we're going to give up any play he said it's to that guy in the corner and he didn't even mention Mark Mitchell by name he's like to that guy in the corner we were going to let that go and Mark Mitchell was there and he did it just like he did at the has, has done at the end of practice every day a hundred times he took that three, was very confident doing it. The entire bench knew it was going in, but it was one of those things where I'm glad to see the the practice and the effort that he's putting in to become better is to, is taking hold. And you know, yeah, he hit two threes. Him and Derek Whitehead were the only ones that hit threes. So that that small forward by committee uh, represented our five threes last night. But I do think that Mark Mitchell, that confidence in the clutch. The great thing about it is we're going to need that down the road. And Jason, like you said. If he continues to hit that corner three, traditionally that is the toughest three in on the court. That's the toughest spot to hit a three-pointer is the corner. So if he's going to be a guy that can sit in the corner and pop and pop and swap all day, their teams are going to have a lot, a lot of you know, covering to do because they're gonna to have to cover that corner, which is then gonna free up the rest of the floor for anyone else who wants to slash. Hey, there's one more thing I want to talk about on offense. Um, and I know Sam wants to do a little bit of stuff about the Duke defense, which was pretty darn good in this game. Because Notre Dame is a is a, a good offensive team. They're a terrible defensive team. They're a good offensive team, and we held them, you know, to the low 60s. But uh, one the offensive thing I wanted to mention about Duke was we we for the most part took care of the ball. Duke only had eight turnovers in this game, our lowest turnover total since January 23rd against Virginia Tech, almost a month. Now, it's worth noting, you know, again, if you listen to that preview that a third of our listeners got. <laughs> uh, Notre Dame is terrible, horrible, abysmal at forcing turnovers. So you would expect Duke 
to not have a lot of turnovers. But still, the fact that we kept it to eight is good. And and somewhat related to that, Duke had 16 assists on 25 made field goals for an assist rate of 64%. Again, looking ahead a little bit to the Syracuse game, Syracuse gives up a ton of baskets off assists. The way you beat Syracuse is to pass the ball around that zone. This is something Duke will have to do on Saturday if we're going to have a victory there. And it was good to see us sort of getting in the habit of it at this point. All right, Sam, you want to talk about defense. Give it to now, me. Now, look, I know that it's easy to say, let's just take out the best performance from this game and talk about how great the Duke defense is. But let's set Dane Goodwin aside for a second. Duke's defense prevented Notre Dame from almost scoring entirely, right? As you said, Jason, 64 points for the Irish, 25 of those came from Goodwin. And a lot of that had to do with the work on the perimeter. Uh, Notre Dame shot a lot better in the second half when they were making their comeback. But generally speaking, not a great night from deep for the Irish, a, a team that that kind of needs to shoot uh, from outside to, to be effective. So th- this gets back to we were talking about Mitchell and Whitehead kind of tag-teaming last night on the perimeter. But sort of the same goes for Roach and Proctor and everybody else that was on the perimeter. I know we haven't talked about Jacob Grandison yet, who played a slightly diminished role last night. I think we're still kind of figuring out what this what this kind of two-guard, small-forward rotation looks like for Duke. But but all of them combined, I think, had a pretty good game from the perimeter. And I hope that that is also a, a sign that, that they're rounding back into form. I talked early in the season about how much, uh, about how excited I was for Duke's defensive prowess this season, particularly guys like Mark Mitchell and, and Derek Whitehead excited me that they were going to be elite defenders. I think that some of that development has been hampered by injuries. Some of it is just that, you know, the team hasn't gotten to gel as much as, as we expected, but hopefully that is coming together here. Uh, I'm still not sure about the, about the Duke zone defense, uh, which John Shire seems insistent on, on continuing to sort of sprinkle in occasionally. Uh, I, I think we've talked about how it's tough for a freshman team to try to learn multiple defensive sets. I'd really like to see them get much better at the, you know, light switching that they've been doing where I think they've been the most successful. So Sam, you mentioned Jacob Grandison in his diminished role last night, but I thought he was very effective in the you know minutes that he was in the floor. I think, you know, when you think about him and Ryan Young, Ryan Young, had a bunch of rebounds, uh, especially, you know, offensive that kept us in possessions. And he didn't have that as many minutes as he's used to. Jacob Granson only had 15 minutes, but he had four assists, three rebounds. And after the game, you know, I asked John Shire about, you know, why Jacob Granson's kind of having this role where he's, you know, eventually he's being, he's producing, but in different ways. If you remember, he had 30 minutes. Uh, the other night, he scored, you know, multiple points. He scored 11 points off threes. He's provided great defense. Last night, he was more of a distributor. So I asked him what Jacob Granison brings to the table and how he has kind of become jack of our trades. Listen to what he said. John, you had a lot of bench production tonight, mainly from Jacob Granison with his passing. How has that been, especially in the past few games? You've seen him do points. You've seen him do rebounds. You've seen him do passing. He's kind of become a jack of all trades for you. What is, how has that been with him coming off the bench and providing what you guys need at the moment. You know, Jacob is, um, he, he gives us such poise on the court. And his minutes, you know, he's going to play whatever it is. Last game was closer to 30, and tonight it was 15 minutes. But when he's in, he just makes winning plays. You know, he's maybe our best passer. Uh, you know, I don't know if 
the guys he's played with in his career. He's a great way of passing the ball in the post. Uh, you have to guard him because he can. He's a threat to shoot and make threes. And on defense, he's a versatile guy who can guard multiple positions. So he's just somebody. Really, it doesn't matter who the four other guys are. He, you can plug him in, and he can be really effective. But his passing, he is as smart as anybody we have. He's tough. Uh, he's he shows up every day to practice. Like Jake has been just a great addition for our team, and also his. Uh, the poise he gives other guys. I mean, the 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 talk that he has. You know, they had a players only meeting. You know, after our Miami game, and I know Jake was one of the key guys in it. I don't know what was said, but I know Jake had a lot to do with that, and uh, it's a credit to what he's all about. So first, I think a lot of people are underestimating the leadership aspect of things. The fact that John Shire brought up the players only meeting that they had after Miami and that Jacob Grenison had a lot to do with that meeting. I, I think that's kind of where he's being utilized the most uh, is that intangible of having that leadership, providing it on the floor. And again, being kind of the, the barometer, knowing what the team needs at any given point, he mentioned that he was probably, you know, Duke's best passer and one of the smartest players. He said that he's able to figure out what the team needs and react to that. So if they need defense, he can provide defense. If they need corner threes, which he hasn't, he's been, you know, 50% all year. I think, Jason, we were uh, discussing with an emailer the other day. Um, he can do that. Or in the case of last night, he may not have as many minutes, but he's able to find his open teammates and get them involved. So I, I really appreciated Jacob Grinson. I thought it was pretty evident last night that even though he wasn't being utilized that much, he was making the most of his opportunities when he does. I, we've talked at times about him possibly replacing Mark Mitchell or someone in the lineup. I think whatever role that he's given, he is trying to do the best that he can and make the most of that opportunity. And right now, him coming off the bench really helps uh, John Shire's program because it helps them, uh, their bench kind of be more of a catalyst when the starters are off the floor. I think also that leadership aspect is one thing that you cannot overlook, especially in a year where you have you know, not a lot of, you know, upperclassmen, you need those upperclassmen. And when Jeremy Roach or even Jalen Blakes is not in the game, you have to have someone step up in that leadership role. It sounds like Jacob Grandson's taken that role to heart. You know, you mentioned rebounding really quick, and I just wanted to very, very fast, um, as we wrap up the good, I did want to, you know, echo what you said about Ryan Young. He had eight rebounds in nine minutes of playing time, uh, including four offensive rebounds. And and Derek Lively, I thought, you know, if we're going to talk about our, our big men, Derek Lively, I thought, had a fairly decent game as well. Uh, had a couple block shots, six points and six rebounds. So he was doing a lot of different things for Duke. I was a little surprised in the second half, especially. It felt like Duke went small a number of times. That there there were there were moments where Filipowski was the biggest guy on the floor. Uh, there were a lot of moments actually where either Mark Mitchell or Jarek Whitehead was the second biggest player out there for Duke. I'm not quite sure. I think Shire, you know, wanted to match Notre Dame's ability on the perimeter and and I, you know, makes some sense. I understand why he did that. But I, I thought both Lively and and Young had fairly decent games. And man, the, the stat they showed at one point about Derek Lively that 57% of his block shots end up, you know, end up as transition opportunities for Duke. Donald, you 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 couldn't see that, but on the on the broadcast they were talking about the fact that when Lively blocks the ball, 
it he doesn't block it out of bounds for the most part he blocks it to a teammate who then heads the other direction 57 percent of the time really really impressive number and i think lively continues to show that he's growing flip had one of those plays as well i think late in the game on lashevsky lashevsky was going up yes. for a shot and he not only blocked it but then when lashevsky tried to get the get the the rebound he kind of slapped it to jeremy roach who then went down to the other end of the floor uh, and, and either either fouled her or went to the line, but made something happening other end, on the other end of the floor. And it was because they were able to kind of tip it to a teammate or tip it to themselves. I, I it kind of a segue to the bad. Sometimes they do that a little too much. Um, they yeah. try to try to find the open teammate and not necessarily secure it. Uh, but I do like the fact that they are, again, as part of our, our, our MO right now, like looking for our teammates and trying to put them in an opportunity to score. Even on the offensive end, they're trying to, kick balls out and trying to find guys who are open a lot of times those those tips to other people uh become points for duke and i think last night was no exception all right guys we're going to take a quick break when we come back obviously there's plenty to talk about in the bad as well i mean duke goes and faces a, a team that is not that good who's had a really struggling season and we only win by four we'll tell you what went wrong after the break All right, we're back from the break, and it's time to talk about the bad from this game. Uh, I will, I will get us started. Uh, Duke just, man, this Duke team loves to blow leads, don't they? They love to have scoring droughts. It's crazy how often this happens to us. We we had a fourteen point lead with fifteen minutes left, and I would have sworn up and down that we we're going to win that game by twenty points at that moment. And a couple minutes, you know, Notre Dame then cuts into it, and. Like they would cut it to four and then Duke would stretch it back out to 10. And I'd be like, oh, we're going to run away with it again. Like all the momentum's going our way. We're getting slam dunks and stuff like that. And then Notre Dame claws back and claws back. It, it, It's pretty darn frustrating. I mean, hey, yeah, great that you got a 14-point lead. Great that you look like you're on your way to blowing them out. But finish the job, Duke, please. God. All right, Sam, give me some bad. It felt like in the first half, even though Duke built up that lead, that they weren't able to get into a rhythm with their offense. I, I'm I'm looking at the at the game progress chart, and there's only one. There's two instances I think in the first half where Duke makes baskets on consecutive possessions. Otherwise, they're either missing baskets and not getting a offensive rebound, or they're missing, or they're they're just missing and 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 losing the offensive rebound, or they're 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 turning it over like. It, it it doesn't feel like Duke was able to string together baskets in this one. And sometimes, especially when Duke is at home, look, this should be easier when Duke is in Cameron and, and they've got the crowd behind them and, and the crowd sounded pretty good last night. They were not able to ride any of that to momentum on offense. And the the second half in general was played at a much faster tempo than than the first half was. I was disappointed that, especially when it when it sped up, that Duke wasn't able to capitalize on that more. And there's a lot of kind of, you know, minute offensive execution stuff that was going on in there that that I think there just wasn't there wasn't full attention being paid. And and the part of that that's most disturbing to me is that coming off of a couple games where Duke was really, you know, confused on offense, I would have thought that this would have been a focus this week and maybe they need the prep for the Syracuse game, which is always so different than every other game to to get that focus back. But uh, I, 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 I just wish there had been more crispness in the offensive execution. 
I think the scoring droughts come from a couple of things, right? Like this year we've proven not to be a great three point shooting team, right? Like we've, we, we, we've been trending better as of late, but we kind of regressed a little bit last night. We shot 25% from the, uh, and only uh, two guys made threes last night as we talked about it. Right. And, and, a lot of those misses we were getting, we were generating points inside because we were getting offensive rebounds last night. I believe only two guys or three guys got offensive rebounds uh, on yeah, the whole we, night. We only had, we only offensive rebounded 25% of our missed shots. That That's, that's just a bad number for Duke. Duke's usually closer to 40%. That's 40. a bad number. Yeah. We're against Notre Dame. Country. Against right, Notre a Dame, team, a team that doesn't rebound well. Right. And I think, so there is a couple of things, right? Usually, again, when we don't shoot well from three, we are able to rely on getting those misses and converting them into bunnies, right? Converting them into into short two-point baskets, layups, dunks, whatever. Ryan Young grabbing the rebound and laying it back in, something like that. Flip getting getting it going up for for a a dunk or a lay-in in the foul. Ryan Young was excellent doing that last night. Derek Lively was pretty good at doing that last night he had a couple he had one slam dunk uh off of a putback he also had you know a couple of ones where he kept the play alive but i think the one thing is when we get to those scoring droughts the scoring droughts occur because we start missing bunnies we start missing short two-point attempts and that's what happened again last night there was too many stretches where we try to do something go to the rim and there was i mean usually in most games it's turnovers that's a part of it. That wasn't really the case last night. We didn't have a lot of turnovers, but there were a couple of times where we tried to force the issue and it led to a turnover or it led to a bad shot. Fast breaks. We had a, at least three fast breaks. We stole the pass, went down the other way and blew the layup on the other end. Can't have those happen. Those are easy points that we need to have. And I think that contributes to, you know, that's just feeling like you're in a rut, that nothing's going right, even though, when you look at the scoreboard, we're up 10, we're up 12. It felt like it's no point during the game that everything was really clicking for Duke. And I think that contributes to the scoring drafts as well. God, Donald, you are so right. I I don't want to be mean, but this Duke team is one of the sloppiest, you know, most unnecessary turnover and, and blowing layups teams that I've seen in my 40 years of watching Duke basketball. It, it can be really frustrating at times. And we were terrible in transition last night. Jeremy Roach had a shot blocked. Tyrese Proctor fired one off of Drake Whitehead when they were too close together. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Blakes got out of control. He played for the contact on a layup. The contact never showed up, and he just missed the layup. Uh, I mean, Jer- Jeremy Roach got very lucky. Uh, he he blew one late in the game, and Derek Lively came in and and just yammed it home. One, one of the best players of the, of the night. But that was realistically yet another blown fast break opportunity by by duke and if you think about it jason in previous years we have one guy right that no matter what they do they they the ball could be passed off of their face and it would go in right they would we they'd still consistently shoot 65 68 69 we'd have a mark williams we'd have a zion williamson we'd have a marvin bagley the third who who would no matter what could happen it never felt like they were going to miss this time around when guys get the ball in the paint everybody in the gym kind of holds their breath to see if it's going to be a strong move and if they're going to make it. And even if it is a strong move, we're still missing some of those. And again, if you, if you do everything right and you still blow the layup, that is just the, that's just a whole punch to the gut right there. And that's what compounds 
in these instances. And as you get more of those, you can't rely on shooting a three to kind of get momentum back in a big spurt. You got to rely on going to the line and making free throws, but that's not going to cure momentum. You're not going to get any momentum off of just hitting free throws the rest of the game, but that's what we have to resort to times to kind of build ourselves out of it. And it, it, this team just hasn't figured out what it takes to get out of these scoring ruts in a quick fashion, or again, to stem any momentum that the other team may have. All right, guys. So one other thing I want to mention is Jeremy Roach, who I thought had a poor game. Uh, I, I've I've pretty much accepted at this point that Jeremy Roach is never going to be an all ACC caliber player, probably not even third team all ACC. His outside shot isn't that good. His finishing in the lane is just so-so. He commits a lot of turnovers for a guard. Uh, he's an okay but not great defender. I, I, I've just grown to accept that he is what he is. And anyone hoping that he's going to develop into a lot more than this, I think is fooling themselves after watching him play for three years. And he is wildly inconsistent. And when Jeremy Roach is on, this team is near their ceiling and, and he can be a really, really good player. But he can go from on to off in a blink of an eye. And I thought for the most part, he was off in this game against a team that does not have dynamic defensive guards. And he should have been able to get his shot, to create shots for others, to do the things that we really thought he was going to do a lot more consistently this year. He should have been able to do those things against a bad defensive Notre Dame team. And, and he wasn't. And, you know, I, again, I don't, I don't want to get in here and just lament what he's not, because like I said, he is what he is, but it's still kind of frustrating. And I think one of the reasons that this Duke team maybe isn't reaching the ceiling that a lot of us thought they had is that we sort of thought we were going to get a different Jeremy Roach than we have this year. And a lot of that was on display last night. You know, Jason, can I give you the, the optimistic take please about, about oh, this, which please, because uh, because I see all the same things you do, right? There are, I think we said on on a recent show that you know there are games where one half Jeremy Roach is unstoppable. He's he's contorting as he gets to the basket. He's doing stuff that we saw Kyrie Irving doing, and then there are some times where he can't hit a shot and he's letting guys blow past him, and and it's like, what version of Jeremy Roach are we getting today? Yeah, Sam, I I, I bet he has more fifteen point halves. 15 plus point halves than anyone on this Duke team. But, but he's got a hell of a lot of like zero and two point halves as well. Yeah. Uh, to that point, I, I, I think that the development was a little bit, uh, it was in a little bit better shape in his junior year. But uh, what do you think about the comparison to Quinn Cook? Uh, I, I don't see it. He's not the shooter that Quinn Cook was a dynamic outside shooter as, as a senior. And as a senior, Quinn, yes, th this is this is the question that I ask you, because as a junior, I don't think that we weren't doing this show, but I think as a junior, we would have said, God, there are so many games where Quinn Cook is like almost so great. And then he makes so many frustrating mistakes. And he came in with a lot of the same I, I, like, you know, he's he's also a D.C. guy. I think he had had good rapport around the program, all the sort of sort of soft factors that would make you think that Jeremy Roach is going to be successful here. And it really took until his senior year for Quinn Cook to break out. So if you want me to get and 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 I'm looking at his numbers now, his his numbers were a little bit better as a junior than than Jeremy Roach's numbers are this season. But who knows? I, wait, I, wait, wait, wait. I actually hold, hold think on. Let's let's be clear. You say a little bit better. So as a junior, uh, Quinn Cook hit 37% of his threes. As a sophomore, by the way, he hit almost 40% of his threes. Th those are but numbers. He was barely that... playing as a sophomore, wasn't he? No, as a sophomore, he played 33 minutes a game. 
We oh god, and that was a year we were good. What I yeah. I'm misremembering the whole Quinn Cook situation. You know what? I need to retract this whole thing. No, no, no. I, I think it's fine. <laughs> but uh, he he also, by the way, as a sophomore and as a junior, averaged around five assists per game, which Jeremy Roach is nowhere close to at this point. I, look, I don't think it's a terrible comparison. I, I think we'll never know because I don't think Jeremy Roach is coming back for his senior year. I'm not saying he's going to, you know, be drafted by the NBA, but I think he wants to get on. I don't think he wants to start a pro career. That's, you know, some of this sort of the scuttlebutt that we've heard. So we'll never get to see if he has the Quinn Cook glorious senior senior campaign. At least that's that's my opinion on the matter. But I I don't think he I don't think Roach has been as good as Quinn Cook was. Um and he certainly, I don't recall Cook being this maddening, maddeningly inconsistent. I, I I just feel like there's a there's a phone call between Quinn Cook and Jeremy Roach that's going to point him in the right direction. Like I feel like that's the guy that that's going to help him. Uh, I'd love to. I would love to see it. I I I, I, see I, it. I look forward to this this like DC guy helping DC guy story to come out. Maybe just maybe I'm just the one uh, that that's that's willing that wishing that into existence, but. All right. Hey, last thing I want to mention very quickly. Duke is now down to 41st in Ken Palm. Uh, this is the the first time in quite some time. I haven't gone back and looked. I should really go back and, and look and figure it out. That Duke has been outside the top 40 in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. It's worth knowing that in 2021, which was a terrible season, you know, this was the COVID year and Duke wouldn't have made the tournament had they not won the ACC tournament. And they never got a chance because they got COVIDed out. But even in that year, in 2021, Duke was number 36 in Ken Pomeroy's ranking. So we're worse than the 2021 team. Um, our offense the is down. That, that 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 team was 41st uh, for right. for one week in Ken Palm, but that was the that's the worst they did, and then they got better as a result of their ACC tournament performance. Yeah, as a result a result of Mark Williams, you know, suddenly turning into the the man. Um, but uh, our our offense, Duke's offense, is 72nd. Again, I I should have taken the time to look it up. It's probably been God, it's probably been a decade plus since Duke was in the 70s or worse on on offense. It, it, it's just really, really surprising. Also, in the net rankings, we are down to 33, which if you were if you recall the quad one, quad two things, we do not count as a quad one win for anyone who has beaten us this year because no one has beaten us at home. Fun fact, Duke is the only college in, in Division One that their men and their women have been undefeated at home at the same time so congrats to both teams doing that we're the only team to do that but on the flip is all of our losses have come on the road or on neutral sites and the only two teams that have a quad one win against us would be purdue and kansas yeah, duke in 2007 which i think is like is a lot I, at least for me is like the bad year uh when duke was a what were they a six seed or seven is a six seed going yeah into, greg Paulus and Josh roberts were the guys they were the only duke was only 44th worst in or 44th best in the country on offense that year so yeah look six I mean, best team in the country on defense did you know that did you know that that team was number six in the country on defense that wow i would not have guessed that that the is josh mcroberts greg paulus team <laughs> freshman john shire wow well jason jason i was talking with with my buddy jeff about this it sounds if you look at the kim palm rankings if you look at like the top 10 top 20 i believe houston which is number one in kim palm is the only team that has uh, adjusted offensive efficiency that's in the top 10 in both offense and defense. I think everyone else has one part that's really good and the other part that's mediocre. Goes to show you this might be what college basketball is like this season, given that on any given night, it seems like any team can show up and beat another. Uh, so let me just finish off this stuff about some of the advanced stats. So we're talking about how bad Duke is on offense. Um, 
are shooting by both regular field goals and three-point field goals, uh, the number of times we get our shots blocked and the number of times we turn the ball over, turnovers, all of those stats are among the bottom 125 teams in the country. And I want to remind everyone that when you're talking about the bottom teams in the country, there's a lot of terrible teams that are not going to sniff the postseason that are usually in there. For this Duke team to be among the worst, the bottom third in the country at shooting twos, at shooting threes, at getting their shots blocked, at turning the ball over. I mean, it's a major problem. And I'm going to be honest, I don't really know how we fix it. I'd love for it to get fixed, but I'm just not sure at this point. You know, barring these guys suddenly, barring Tyrese Proctor suddenly taking care of the ball better and Tariq Whitehead turning into a guy who's going to create shots for his, his teammates and Jeremy Roach shooting better, barring these things happening that I don't, I haven't seen much evidence of. I don't know that Duke's going to get much better on offense. It's it's scary and frustrating. All right, guys, we we got to do our favorite play. We're not gonna we're not gonna finish off without talking about the best play from that Notre Dame game. I'm gonna take host privilege again and go first because I have a mea culpa. Just a couple days ago, when we recorded our preview of this game, I said Mark Mitchell will not start. I said Mark Mitchell hadn't hit a you know had only hit one three pointer in a month. So my favorite play. Got to be Mark Mitchell draining that three-pointer with less than 10 seconds left. If you'd asked me to bet on the possibility of that happening in this game, I would not have been willing to make that wager. So I tip my hat to Mr. Mark Mitchell. Favorite play was Mark Mitchell proving Jason Evans dead wrong. Thank you for doing that, Mark. Sam, favorite play. Well, I'm taking the Mitchell three as well, but I would like to uh, take it back to the listener input on this one. Uh, two notes we got. One, you I think you read one of tina's submissions for headlines one of the other ones she submitted that you didn't read was put mitchell in the corner said no one ever as duke keeps home win streak intact uh which dovetails nicely with the other one that we got from the k-man which i'm not going to read it uh verbatim because then we'd have to mark the show explicit explicit but he said an effing mark mitchell three that was his that was his headline and then uh, he asked us, so how many of you were thinking no when he launched it? Uh, I was with I was with the K-Man all the way on this. Uh, Mark Mitchell put that three up and I was like, you got to be kidding me with this offensive execution. Like we are going to send this, you know, this this flat jumper three pointer from the corner as as Duke's like effort to stretch the game out and and, you know, not let Notre Dame come back. And I was proven wrong. So. We are all we are all capable of making mistakes. We are all capable of growth, and Mark Mitchell has demonstrated that uh, with with more, I'd say, humility and grace than I have today. Uh, I was, I mean, I was on press row, so obviously we couldn't react. But I don't know if there's a picture of of the back of of Mark Mitchell as he's shooting that three, where it looked towards press row. I'm pretty sure I have my eyes wide open in in a non demonstrative way, but just more of a hmm, that's interesting uh, type of type of you know reaction to that play but when it went in Cameron went crazy that is my play of the game but Jason I did want to note uh, a play that did not happen during the game but happened before the game that I think should be noted honorably or whatever um TV Teddy Valentine obviously was the ref one of the referees of the game it being Valentine's Day that makes a lot of sense uh and it also makes no sense uh for Duke fans at the same time obviously we Duke fans have had a, a little bit of a a recent, you know, brush with the referees and, and a lot of disdain for what they have done uh, to guys named Kyle Filipowski over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but what TV Teddy did before the game 
is he walked to the crowd, walked to the Cameron Crazies, and had a bag of Valentine's Day candy and started tossing it to fit to kid to kids in the stands as a way to kind of butter them up. And guess what? A lot of the times there was not a lot of plays that involved uh, TV Teddy that were against Duke in this game. But uh, it was very funny that, you know, TV Teddy Valentine on Valentine's Day was giving out Valentine's Day candy. Uh, Donald, can we can I call out the Cameron crazies real quick? Was there some uh, I I heard loud expletives directed at the refs in uh, in in coordinated fashion early in the game last night? Yes. So the very first free throw, which occurred maybe like 50 seconds of the game that Notre Dame took, there was uh, an audible, a very audible chant. Um, Obviously, it was coordinated. It was something that was a reaction to the play uh, against Kyle Filipowski against Virginia on Saturday night. Uh, again, we're trying to keep this a clean episode, so I'm going to say they said F the Zebras, um, and they chanted that for the first one. But I will say they also chanted it a couple of times, basically every single first free throw um, that Notre Dame had when they went to the line. It, it was that chant was started, but it wasn't um, it wasn't as loud as the first one. The first one was clearly like, hey, everybody – just the first thing we're going to do when we get up in there, there's obviously some people dressed up as, as referees with clown faces on clown masks and, and hair. Um, but yeah, that was a very demonstrative way to show uh, their disdain for what happened in Virginia. All right, guys, that's going to do it for us here on episode 489 of the Duke basketball report podcast. Super fast before we go, as we've told you, we are going to be kind of changing things up here a little bit and we're leaving the SB nation family, not by our choice, by their choice, but we're going to be staying on your, in your feed and pretty much everything's going to stay the same for you, but we are going to be required to change the name of this podcast. So we want to quickly challenge all of you. We want to keep those DBR initials. This is something that we cherish. This is something that it's a big part of, what all of you have come to love about this DBR. And we think we probably want the first two to be Duke basketball blank. So there are a lot of possibilities, a lot of words to start with R. I want you all to send us email dbrpodcast at gmail.com. What's your idea for what the new name of our podcast should be? And if you're not going to start it with Duke basketball, you better have a really, really good idea because we're leaning toward Duke basketball blank. Uh, Duke basketball rheumatology, uh, Duke basketball rhomboid, uh, Duke basketball rhesus uh, monkey, rule breakers, Duke basketball revolution. Ooh, Donald, I, I kind of like Duke that. basketball Ooh. revolution. That's like <laughs> yeah. is it like dance dance revolution. That's that like DDR exactly. Yeah. <laughs> In any event, that's going to wrap it up for us here on DBR podcast episode four eighty nine. I'm Jason Evans. He's Donald Wine. He's Sam Klein. Send us those emails. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home.